Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Well, that didn't last long, did it? It's only early afternoon on January 20th and foreigners, non-Americans are bursting our optimism, making us miserable again. Um, We've had this wonderful inauguration. Joe Biden replaces Donald Trump as the American 46th president. Uh, Uncle Joe looked so cheerful and dapper and had this very energetic speech about Americans coming back together. And I was really feeling very optimistic about the future of America. And then the Canadians intervened, or one Canadian in particular a well-known Canadian writer, troublemaker, humorist called Stephen Marsh. And he tweeted a couple of hours ago, I guess we'll have to hold on to the memory of this day when Josh Hawley becomes president after losing the popular vote by 5%. Stephen Marsh has a record of ruining our optimism and positive feelings in America. He's the author of a a very provocative piece a couple of years ago called America's Next Civil War. And he's working on a piece about the imminent civil war in America. So, uh, Stephen. Andrew. What's going on? Are you convinced that our optimism is profoundly unfounded? Is Joe Biden going to fail to bring Americans together? I mean... I don't really even know what that means at this point. Like, what is the what is the the ground? What is the common ground which can unite Americans at this point? I don't think it really exists. Um, so, you know, I, I found the inauguration. I mean, uh, like, I it wasn't very. It, to me, it wasn't an optimistic speech. To me, what it was was like, let's go back to our illusions. Let's go back to our. We, we, we had these four years of disillusionment under Trump. Uh, let's pretend that they never happened and that what and that we're actually this shining city on a hill that we always thought we were. And we're, you know, getting towards a more perfect union. And let, let's just pers- and that it's a time to heal. And, you know, I hope my, my real hope is that that is empty rhetoric and that he recognizes in private uh, at least that it's not very, very, very far from a time to heal, and that it's actually a time to fight. Stephen, admit it. You're 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 watching. You're in Toronto at the moment, and you're and you're watching this American mayhem with a degree of of enjoyment. You, oh you wrote, no, no. Not, well, you wrote, you wrote recently uh, in the Globe and Mail that. Um, the leading Canadian newspaper in an op-ed, which is a follow-on from your piece about the imminent civil war. The insurrection has not yet happened, but it's coming. Did it come, Stephen, um, on January 6th? Oh, is no, that not when at we all. saw the, 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 the sneak preview of what's about to happen? No, no, no. I mean, I think the thing you have to, re- like, I you know I've been working on this book for a couple of years now, 
Um, and I think one of the things you have to recognize is that um, these militias, these insurrectionist groups are quite established and quite large and they have a broad base of political support. But that what happened on January 6th was not what they are planning. Um, it's not what it's not what they can do. Um, you know, it didn't it was not an insurrection. The reason it's not an insurrection is because it was unarmed. It had very limited political support and it had no support from the military. All of those things are absolutely capable of changing. And just to be clear, like when you say I'm looking at it from outside, you know, I mean, I was a columnist at Esquire for eight years. I've worked in the United States. I have lots of family in the United States, like like all Canadians, like we have a our relationship to America is, you know, tortured, but it's also um, a kinship relationship like we we are. Very, we, we are often the same families live on both sides of the border. So I take absolutely no delight at all in what's happening to America. Plus, you know, raw national self-interest. Like if America becomes an authoritarian, unstable, violent country, this is extremely bad for Canada um, in various ways that are totally, you know, unavoidable. Um, so, yeah, it's with no pleasure that I see that I that I see what I what I think I'm seeing. Well, you write actually in um, America's uh, in 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 the, in the next civil war. You said everyone in Canada with any power has the same job. It doesn't matter if you're prime minister, minister of foreign affairs, or premier of Alberta. It doesn't matter if you're the mayor of a small town or CEO of a major corporation. If you run a cultural institution or a mine, Canadian with any power at all have to predict what's going to happen in the United States. So yeah. like any Canadian, Stephen, you're in the business of predicting America. What is going to happen? What, why do you predict this looming next civil war? It's a book you're working on. Yeah. I hope to see it hopefully in 2021. Um, well, I, I mean, what you see in America is textbook prelude to a civil war. Um, like it's not even it, it, it's it's not uh, it's not even particularly complicated. Like when hyperpartisanship becomes as extreme as it has in the United States, which, you know, I don't think we really need to debate after the past couple of months um, where what happens is that the the it, the institutions of power uh, lose their national focus and they become essentially partisan focus. So you can see that in the Supreme Court. You can see that in the transition of power. Um, you can't see it in the military yet, but uh, and and hopefully you won't. Um, but it, it's not impossible that that would happen. Um, and when that happens, essentially politics becomes a game of spoils. And um, you know, with institutional illegitimacy, with the illegitimacy of the law, um, you enter a period where violence determines power, and violence and and the and the main form of political discourse is violence. But Stephen, um, Joe Biden just spoke yeah. I thought, rather eloquently and convincingly about being the president of all Americans. Everyone can make a mistake. Americans clearly made a mistake with Trump. Almost you know, 65, 70 percent of Americans now acknowledge that. Why can't we just move on and go back to the old politics of consensus? He's not a president for at least a quarter of the country. I would say closer to a third. Um, like there's a huge broad, I mean, I, I, we use the term far right, but I actually think we have to lose that term. We have to call it the hard right because it's not, it's not a fringe position like Josh Hawley and a huge, and a huge body of Republican lawmakers, um, do not accept that he is their president. 
um, they don't accept that he he won that election. So that in a, just in a very like that's and those are sensible people with degrees from Yale and very educated and they're not they're not invested in the institutions of their country. So can you imagine what it's like? Well, I've been to gun shows in Tulsa. I've been to prepper conventions in Ohio. I've been to Trump rallies in Iowa. I've been around America for the past two years. And they do not regard federal authority as legitimate. And, you know, countries live by their myths of legitimacy. And so he's trying to make this statement. He's trying to make this restatement of we're going back to the way we were. And um, we're, I'm going to be the president for all Americans. But, you know, you can't be president of people who don't recognize your legitimacy. And, you know, he, he is faced with extremely bad options at this point. Um, options which are which do not increase the legitimacy legitimacy of institutions, and so yeah, I don't I don't I feel that speech was um, grotesque. Like it was it, it is this incredible well, sad or grotesque. I mean, does is does he know? Do you think does Biden know that he can't bring the country together? Is he saying it because he has I don't to know. say it? I, I, I believe it. I I don't know. I don't have the sources, and I, I like I don't know what's in his head, and I don't have the political sources to to genuinely to be able to tell you that. Um, but you know, I hope he's kidding. Like I I I hope he recognizes that um, he has an enormous domestic terrorism problem that is not going away, that has huge political legitimacy, that there uh, that that the the question of the electoral college and the the fracturing of democracy into the gerrymandering issues, which are which are not going away, uh, is going to make democracy in America less legitimate every year for, if it continues in the way it's going and that those and that those things have consequences like you know we all know, like America is, is is surviving because it is the world's reserve currency and that gives it a, a lot of room to make a lot of mistakes but you know to pretend that we're, we're going back to the shining city on the hill and you know isn't it wonderful that Kamala Harris is you know vice president and so on uh, that would be really really ignorant. Um, and it, like it, this, this pageantry, this pageantry, this American pageantry, right after a the, a desecration of the Capitol, I, I just found it so unseemly. You know, it, it's just like this return to American exceptionalism. That's just like that's just like you know, no, 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 no. Like I know, I I know you're America. I know you're great. I do know it, and I I don't doubt it. But like you you have critical problems here that need that that break countries that well, they, maybe, they, it, uh, and you're, and you're maybe, not an exception you're yeah. not an exception you know maybe we should think of canadians and particularly cultural political critics like you as 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 our analysts make sense of us there's this famous uh, photo of course uh, Stephen, mm. which supposedly summarizes the events of one six the yeah. bearded fellow carrying the confederate flag around the halls of uh, american congress not clear whether this guy even quite understood what he was doing, but there are lots of other images that I think yeah. are seared into people's minds now. This character, yeah. these characters, this character, the the, the QAnon woman. Yeah. Um, what did, in, in symbolic terms, because you're a cultural critic, mm -hmm. a, an observer of America, peering over at us from Toronto, what did those images tell you about America? Well, um, they told me what I knew from interviewing a great number of experts on the far right in the United States and myself. For some reason, um, 
people on the far right quite like me and I get along well with them and we talk on the phone and, and like, I've like, I, um, like, you know, so I've, I've known a lot of these guys for quite a long time for this book. And, um, you know, you know, the, the thing that the way to think through the far right in the United States is really not the historical models that we've had in the past. Like it's, it's just not sensible to talk about these people as Nazis or like fascists. They're not fascists. Um, the way I think of it is as a, a smorgasbord, this is extremely inelegant way of putting it for a cultural commentator, but a, a smorgasbord of sensibilities. So you have white power, you have sovereign citizens, you have white nationalism, you have Christian nationalism, you have Second Amendment, you have tax uh, avoidance as a political philosophy. You All of these things, there's a range of them, maybe as many as a dozen or two dozen. And essentially you have these disenfranchised, well, I mean, disenfranchised would be the wrong people who feel that the federal government does not represent their interests right, or their voice, uh, selecting, you know, going back and forth between whatever these things are. And, you know, it makes it very difficult as a writer because they, they metamorphose and they, um, they, they, they change form very rapidly. I mean, like what QAnon will be two weeks from now is different than what it is today. And the Boogaloo Boys, who, you know, have caused such horror, like they were a, a, an absolutely different force a year ago than they are today. So, you know, what I saw in the Capitol building was not particularly surprising. But, you know, like, for example, the guy with the horns on his head who has all the uh, runic and, and Germanic tattoos on his body, um, you know, the, the, an Irish scholar did actually a very interesting interpretation of all of those um, those symbols because they go back to Norwegian myth and so on. But I, I wouldn't take it too seriously. He could pick up, literally a guy like that could pick up Tibetan shamanism tomorrow and, and do something with it. Right. I mean, so, you know, I think um, what you're, what you're having here is really the fracture of meaning and, and the, the rise of esoteric conceptions of government. And those, those forces are spreading wildly. And, and and so like I don't I don't think um, you know the, the, it, it didn't it didn't surprise me in the slightest January sixth like not like not even a little bit like what surprised me genuinely is that they were not armed and that a bomb did not go off. So we have this Stephen this sort of symbolic chaos these characters wandering around the halls not even understanding their own significance. Why why is this I don't know if it's unique to America but what is it about America? that is producing characters like this and this and this for these people not for, for people listening rather than watching i'm 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 showing some images of of qanon women and and uh, guys walking around with the the speaker's gavel in 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 congress as if they're at disneyland what is it about america that produces these kinds of people well, well this culture this yeah, a culture which is so profoundly destabilizing and in many ways demoralizing. Well, I think, you know, I actually wrote a piece about the new I, I wrote a piece in The New Yorker about this, about why, um, like the social media stuff, like this, the spread of social media disinformation is is so much more common in America because, you know, every other country in the world had exactly the same attempts by Russia to send disinformation, had all that stuff, and they all dealt with it like the, the conservatives in Canada, when our foreign minister was, they, you know, that was the social media was going crazy because they discovered a ancestor who belonged to a Nazi organization. Like the, the her opponent said, this is all a smear. Anyone who reports on it is illegitimate. 
That's what happened here. Virtually the same thing happened in France. Virtually the same thing happened in Germany. So why only in America? And I mean, the answer that I give, and this is, you know, this is just theory. This is not from, re like most of what I talk about in the book and in the piece are from other people's research and you know, the best experts I can find on this stuff. But, you know, to me, the beauty of America, the, the glory of America is that you get to say what you want and you get to believe what you want. And this, in a sense, is its tragic flaw, is that it really, like, the you know, that famous quote, like, you're not entitled to your own facts. Like, no, in America, you are absolutely entitled to your own facts. How do you think you get Mormonism? How do you think you get Bob Dylan? How do you think you get Facebook? How do you think you get these this incredible technological innovation? They are... Well, to be fair, Stephen, I mean, look, America had Bob Dylan, Canada had Leonard Cohen. I mean, it's not as if other countries can't create great poets or great thinkers. No, of course not. But I mean, what America creates is an originality that I do think is unparalleled, certainly in Canada. Like, like the, 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 the impetus towards originality and self-expression and being yourself and you know, that, that is a distinctly American trait to me. I mean, you certainly don't find it in England. You just certainly, you, I mean, you don't find it here. You don't find it, you don't really find it in Europe or Asia or anywhere else, as far as I know. So that, it, it, I mean, what we're essentially seeing is that spirit of individuality, that spirit of originality warping to the point where it's like Comet P Ping Pong, like Comet Ping Pong has pedophiles in the basement. Like, they, like why not believe it even though you have no evidence? You know, well, you, uh, yeah, and uh, you, 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 you suggested uh, in in a pretty controversial piece uh, last year that um, even Ameri even Canadians think Americans are toxic, and Canadians are generally rather nice people, aren't they, Stephen? Well, I mean, as I said before, we have a kinship relationship with America. I mean, like, you know, I have I have Trump voting cousins. Right. Like literally cousins of mine live in Seattle and vote for Trump. Like it, it like it's it, it is a really between countries. It's very, very close. Is it I just mean, the right, though, that's top. You talk about American toxicity. Is it just yeah. people voting for Trump? What about people on the other side? No, I, I think it's like it's covid as well. I mean, the piece is about covid. Right. The piece is about the total inability of systems to pro to work like covid is a was a test. COVID was a test of how well your systems work. And the American system basically didn't exist. Uh, and, 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 you know, like, th that's what that piece was about. Like, yeah, and you also say in another piece that, um, uh, that for Americans, uh, COVID is the equivalent of Suez, at least from the point of view of the British. So you it see is. COVID as essentially right about that. bringing down America? Or Brad, well, America, I mean, dominance I mean America, America is going to, uh, Joe Biden is going to send people out to preach American gospel around the world. I mean, no one is going to listen. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, who is going to, who is going to take an American? Canada, people don't listen to Biden in Canada. No, no, who is going, when, when a, well, we'll listen because we're, we have interest in stake. We have, we have interests, we have mutual interests that are very intensely at stake. Um, but, you know, the idea that American democracy, when I was 25, even, and I'm not super old, but like it was the ideal. It was absolutely the model for the world. It, it isn't. 
You know, like, like it, it, like it, it just is not anymore, and it never will be again. Like, I, I mean, it, it, it is it, that has ended. That that process where it's like the United States is the hope of the world, the necessary nation. That's gone. I mean, that's why I think I found the uh, spectacle of the inauguration today so grotesque. It's like you you haven't really recognized. You're just you're just pretending that you know, you're back to the necessary nation. Like you're just another nation trying to get through the day without falling into tyranny. Right. Like, are they supposed to say that? I mean, they got to at least show a good game. I mean, at least uh, America, I was watching and, and I don't disagree with some of the things you're saying, but at least they put on a show. And as I said to my daughter, America, the one thing Americans still know how to do is put on a nice show. Yeah, it's true. Lady Gaga hugging everybody. That's like, it's like, right, you, you really got this shit with that. But I mean, but it, but it is like, you know, it's like, I don't know. To me, it's like, can we get to the point where we recognize that Americans are just people too? And that, they're, and that their vulnerabilities are the same vulnerabilities that have haunted everyone ever, right? Like, like these are the, and, and that, and that, because I think I see no evidence from anything Biden's done to recognize the plight that he's in. Now, maybe I'll be wrong, but like, you know, I've been talking to people, you have to understand the point of view I'm coming from. Like I've been talking to FBI sources for two years about how white powers infiltrated, you know, police departments to the point where they can't send out watch lists uh, about domestic terrorism to police departments because the, the police departments then just tell, somebody in the police department would just tell the white power people that, they, that they've been made. Um, you know, like I, I've I've been talking to people in the military about white power infiltration, and these are serious questions, right? Like, if if there is a white power movement that um, that takes over, you know, significant portions of the mil the U.S. military, I mean that that's a that's a real crisis. That's a, that's a real very serious crisis for the world. Um, yeah, and it, and it seems, Stephen, as if you're not in a minority. Um, you tweet that. 31% um, of Americans think that a civil war is coming in the next five years. You wrote that in 2018. I would guess yeah. that that number is probably higher now. 64 now. So, so what is it going to look like? Is it a right-wing militias taking over state houses, states, Michigan, Kansas, Arkansas, Alabama? I mean, you know, like the, the book... I don't like to make specific predictions because even though that's we're waiting for the book. So give us, well, yeah, I mean, like the, book, the book has, the book has, but you know, like what I'm dealing with here are models that I really do believe in and that have actually been totally, I mean, one of them is going to break, but I have the ones I'm using haven't broken yet. Right. Like the hyper-partisanship people asked them two years ago, who's going to win the election. They said Biden narrowly, like, and the models that I'm using are like that. Like they, they have, very strong predictive capacities and a very strong predictive history. So like, and, and so I don't like to go beyond them, right? Because they, they work. Um, but I mean, the model that in, is in my own head is, uh, is chaos, right? It's sectarian conflict. Um, it's, it's what we saw in Iraq. It's what we saw in Syria. It's, it's every, it's tribalism broken down into chaotic forms it's new political entities taking on meaning do people in new york start to think of themselves as new yorkers first and americans second what are the consequences of that what happens when um you know a, a republican president comes to power with 
five or six percent less than the popular vote. You know, the 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 models show that that is likely. That's likely to happen, right? So, well, you just predicted that it would be particularly yeah. ironic if America so what into, if, uh, yeah. a Syrian styles or Iraqi or Afghan style civil war. Yeah, given America's failure Again, I, in the Middle I, I East. Look, no one, you know, like I've. So, you know, I talked to the experts on counterinsurgency, including some very senior people who retired and work on what they call full spectrum operations in the homeland, like planning for what happens if there's a genuine insurrection, which is not January 6th. Like what happens if there is a, you know, a sheriff who decides to declare interposition and doesn't no longer recognizes the federal government as is he believes his constitutional prerogative, um, you know. It, it it the counterinsurgency does not work, right? Like there is no the French couldn't do it. The British were the the bet of any empire. They were the best at it only because they were so brutal, and they were they were willing to do things that other people weren't willing to do, and they had no interest in democracy and state building and so on. Like if you're tr if you're trying to impose order on a a a, a, a people from from another it, it's almost impossible you know the best example of it honestly is the south after the civil war where terrorist groups from the south essentially made uh life impossible for for the north and the the compromise that kept the union together was uh segregation and the destruction of um you know black personhood like that was that was you know 10 years of southern terrorism led to that so that the North tried to occupy the South and couldn't do it. If if there's an occupation in the United States, I see no reason to believe that it would work either. Well, is that bleak if, enough for you? That's David a rather Marshall bleak portrait. Made you miserable enough. His <laughs> his new book, America's Next Civil War, imminent 2021. I hope, Stephen, yeah. um, you are going to make us all suicidal or perhaps leave America. <laughs> God knows what's going to happen. But we were so cheerful this morning. Yeah. And you have pricked our optimism, which <laughs> is probably what Canadians are, are designed to do. That's true. Uh, That's while people. we wait for your new book, America's Next Civil War, Stephen, what else should we be reading? Um, I really like this book, uh, Break It Up, um, by uh, Richard Kreitner. Yeah, uh, Rich has been on the show talking about, yeah, talking really, about that excellent book. What, what's so good about it? Well, it's just a very complete history of disunion. And, I, and I, like, you know, America obviously is a huge country with a huge history, but um, it really gets uh, into the nitty gritty of things like the Whiskey Rebellion and the separatist movements in the, in the 20th century that often get treated as like relics of history, you know, because like we're moving, you know, America's always moving towards a more perfect union. And he really gets like that disunion has, has never kind of gone away. Um, and also he asks the political question that I think is really urgent, which is, should America split up? And what would it look like if it did? Yeah, and I agree. And I, I'm not actually convinced that a, a splitting up of America would necessarily be a bad thing if it was done in a, a civilized, of course, peaceful way, not like India and Pakistan. Anyway, yeah. it's great to talk to you, Stephen. I'm Pleasure. excited about the book. And I hope you, uh, in Canada at least, have a happy and healthy 2021. And you will remain a very controversial and honest observer of life in America. Thank you so much. Pleasure. See you later. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. 
Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.